John 8, 12. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Very bold statement. I remember driving home. um, I worked at uh, Calvary Chapel about a mile away from my childhood home, maybe two miles away, childhood home, and I was unmarried and still living at home, was on staff there, and obviously had lived there my whole life, so I knew my way around the city. It was Christmas time, it was dark, and I had come out of my office, was driving home, and it was just fogged in, kind of like we had yesterday. And, And I started driving, I realized I got lost. I'm like, what in the world? It was so dark, you couldn't see the street signs. I was in my 67 Mustang, and even the lights on them and full bright, you just couldn't see through anything. And I remember driving around for a while going, this is kind of fun. You know, this is kind of fun. And, it, and there's this one house that uh, was kind of by the block on, on Knob Hill is what it was called. And, and every Christmas, without doubt, they would just, it would be like the Griswolds. I mean, it was just like, oh. and I remember finally you know, just being lost and kind of driving in turns. And I saw this light out in the distance. And I'm like, I bet you that's that house. And I started driving, you know, making my way through the streets. And I, I saw that house. And of course, there was Santa and the reindeer and like just blinding light. And okay, I know I turned right from here and left. Jesus is the light of the world. And I, you know, we think we know our way. We think we know where we are. But eventually we find out we are totally 100% lost. We are lost. And Jesus came into the world to shine his bright light to, to show men the way to life and to light. And so that is the focus of my, my thinking and my heart this morning. And as Jesus said these words, Jesus spoke to the people, said, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 8, there was a lot going on. There was a, there was a feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. And all of Israel is gathered together in Jerusalem in this one place to celebrate this Feast of Tabernacles. And this festival was eight days long, and it was the, final, the finale of three basic festivals that were huge festivals within uh, Jewish culture. And it was culminating with the Feast of Tabernacles. It was over a 19-day period. And it's just kind of like our Thanksgiving to Christmas time. I mean, just the whole culture was focused on one holiday after another. And the Feast of Tabernacles here had two major purposes. The first was to celebrate the later harvest. They would bring, this was in the fall, basically, from uh, September, October, right around there. And it was to bring in the later harvest, and, and they were, it was their Thanksgiving time, basically. They were thanking the Lord, saying, thank you for your provision. Thank you so much for, for taking care of us. And in the, that context, they would also, the second part would be, they would build these tabernacles as prescribed by the Lord in the Old Testament. As a memorial, they build these temporary houses, and even Jews do it today sometimes, but they have these temporary houses with, with uh, on, uh, and the, the, the tops would be made out of palm branches or what have you. And it was to, for them to remember as a people their time of wandering in the wilderness, that they were in temporary shelters that they lived there for 40 years as a nation in temporary dwellings. And ultimately, that would be inha- they would inhabit a promised land and have a permanent home. But until they got there, they were wandering on this temporary 
uh, dwellings, and so they would be called a festival of booths, and a lot would be going on during that week. And ultimately, we know that all these festivals and feasts in the Old Testament, they pointed to Jesus, the reality of Jesus Christ, and this one without exception. And although this festival today is not my point, I'm not going to sit here and talk about the festival all day long, it's, it's the backdrop, it's the context to what we're talking about. I can't help but stress that this is what was going on in the minds of Jesus' readers. The themes of God's provision and his leading them out of slavery of Egypt and how they lived as a nation for 40 years in temporary dwellings in the wilderness and God's provision, the water from the rock, the manna from heaven that was provided for them. It was permeating their thinking. Much like the themes of giving and getting today in Christmas, right? These themes are just popping up. It's in their culture, Thanksgiving. And so through the book of John, uh, he's taking, Jesus is taking these elements of their celebration and pointing them towards the spiritual reality that is ultimately found in him. I'm going to unpack John chapter 8, verse 12 in a second, Jesus being the light of the world. But even as John opens his gospel in chapter 1, These themes are in his thinking, and John is saying, like in chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word dwelling is the word tabernacle. And to the Jewish reader, they'd be thinking, they're going, man, that word, Jesus came and he built a tent and he hang out with us. He had a temporary dwelling among us. And this is the celebration of Christmas for us in in general, is, is that Jesus became flesh. He put on a tent. And came and dwelt among us. And so this festival time for the Jews was much like it is for us now as we celebrate Christmas. The entire culture was in celebration mode. And Jesus is taking advantage of that and and taking these things that would be around him and pointing all of them to the reality of, of himself. This one example, earlier in John chapter 7, 37 through 39, Jesus had said, Anyone who's thirsty, come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to anyone believing in him. And Jesus was, as he was saying this, what was happening is the priests were pouring out water next to the altar, and some say wine on the other side, and it was pouring down the steps, and all the people were gathered and were watching this happen. And Jesus stands up and cries with a loud voice, Is anybody thirsty? I'm going to give you the living water. I am the living water. Come to me. And it's signifying the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, also the provision of salvation. And so Jesus is taking these pictures, these things that were happening in their day-to-day culture, and he was pointing them to the reality that was found in him in the very next verse, uh, next chapter, in chapter 8, where we are today, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. One of the activities that was going on in the Feast of Tabernacles would be the lighting of giant candelabras in the court of the temple. And this is recorded in, in the Mishnah, which is uh, the Jewish book of the oral traditions of the law and by historians. But according to Jewish tradition, after the first sacrifice in the evening, giant lights were lit, and they called this the illumination of the temple. And this is extra biblical, but it's, uh, d- it's deeply rooted in their history. But in the Mishnah, 
in Sukkah chapter 5, verse 2, and the Sukkah is the festival of booths, that's what that word means. It says, at the, at the close of the first holy day, uh, the priest would descend from the courts of the Israelites down into the court of women. The way the court was arranged is in the very center of the court, you had the, the, the temple with, with the Holy of Holies, and no one could go in there except for the priest one of years, uh, once a year. And then, and then you had a room where the prayer and the incense were, and, and the table, and all this type of stuff. That was in the physical building of the temple. And then as you went outside, you had the, priest, the, the court of the priests. There were only the priests, and they would minister. They'd do the sacrifices. That's where the altar of incense was. And then you kind of go this way a little bit as you're kind of working your way out. Then there was the court of the Israelites. And then you kind of take a step back further, and you come out into a different courtyard, which is the biggest and the grandest courtyard, where all the, the 13 uh, little offering, well, not little offering, giant offering plates, all designated for different things of the temple. It was called the court of the women, where basically everybody would gather together. And then outside were the court of the Gentiles. But it says that at the close of the first holiday, holy day, the priest would descend from the court of the Israelites that center part out into the court of the women where the majority of the people were. In the huge court, there were 45 giant candelabras placed, each with four golden bulls at the tops and four ladders to each one. The Talmud says that each were 50 cubits in height, 25 yards tall. And wicks were made from worn-out drawers and girdles of the priests. <laughs> and they were placed in each bowl and lit. A Mishnic source informs us that there was no courtyard in Jerusalem that was not lit up with light, which came from these candelabras. And the Talmud mentions that a woman could sift wheat by the illumination of these lights. Have you ever tried to Work on your car with dim light is the most frustrating thing. Talk about sifting wheat. It was bright. It was like the pen at night, but more probably. But the rest of the night was spent in joyous activities in the core of women. It says that pious men and women of good deeds used to dance before the candelabras with burning torches in their hands and sing before them songs and praise. And the Levites on harps and lyres and with cymbals and with trumpets and with other instruments of music without number upon 15 steps, 10 leading down to the court of the Israelites, uh, out of the court of the Israelites to the women's court, corresponding to the 15 songs of ascent found in Psalms chapter 120 through 134. And upon them, the Levites used to stand with musical instruments and sing hymns, and the festival surrounding the illumination rite concluded the festival day. So you can just imagine at the end of this feast, this whole place lights up. They light up the night, and they're just praising God, and there's music going on. There's, there's just a giant festival going on. And the historian said the temple looked like a, a blazing diamond at night. A blazing diamond at night. And it's distinct when you drive into Walla Walla at night, you see that that orange glow out there, right? I mean, it's just distinct. But imagine just a blazing light in the middle of a desert, this city upon a hill, and it just shines brightly. In the midst of this celebration, perhaps when they were lighting it up, or maybe at the end of it, or who knows when, or maybe when the lights died off, Jesus declared that he was the light of the world. He takes that opportunity and says, you see this? I am this to the world. I am the light to the world. 
One of the main themes we see in our celebration of Christmas is the theme of lights. We put lights on our trees, do we not? I mean, and people are persnickety about what kind of lights we put on our trees, right? Do you go old school or LED? Are you going to be cost effective or are you going to kill the earth? I mean, whatever. I mean, we've got tons of stuff going on. And our houses, I mean, look at our houses, right? Can you, I mean, people go crazy on their houses. I was telling you that light in the darkness, I mean, it saved my life that night. I wouldn't have had dinner on time. But seriously, I mean, you can go to houses. What is this one over here off of Wallula? You can go and they've got, you, you drive by and it's like, it's themed out and you turn on a radio station and it's like synchronized to all the lights. I mean, it goes crazy. We don't even know why we do it. Why do we put lights on our tree? Why do we put lights on our house? Because it's Christmas. What does that even mean? Anybody kind of struggle with that? Why are we, why, why is there a tree again? Why is there, you know? We can often do things that we don't even think about. These people knew why they were doing what they were doing. All the stores have lights in our city. Main Street has Christmas lights. And when Jesus declared that he was the light of the world, it was kind of similar, if I would think it culturally, maybe to a city lighting a... um, you know, the city Christmas tree, and everybody's gathered together, and you have this giant tree with all these lights, and almost everybody's gathered around, and boom, they plug it in, and the lights go on, everybody's like, ooh, ah, and then Jesus goes, I'm the light of the world. We might go, man, you are crazy. But we know he's not saying he's a Christmas tree with lights. We know he's talking about something deeper. But for the Jew, they knew exactly what he was saying when Jesus said he was the light, because every Jew knew that to claim you were the light meant to claim that you were the Messiah. It was in their thinking, it was ingrained in their culture. They were all waiting for the Messiah, the promised one who is prophesied by the prophets. We'll read some of that. The one they were waiting for, the one who would deliver them. The light of the nations. In Isaiah 42, it says concerning the light this would be in their thinking. They would know these things. Isaiah 42, beginning in verse 5, it says, This is what the Lord God says, the creator of the heavens who stretched out them out, who spread out the earth with all the springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. He's speaking to the Messiah now. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the nations to the Gentiles, to the world. Those words mean the world. Anybody who wasn't a Jew. To open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeons those sitting in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another. Men were trapped in prison of sin. Men are trapped in the prison of sin. The Messiah was the light to men and to women trapped in the prison of darkness. They knew that. When Jesus said he was the light, their minds are going to Isaiah 42, 6, and Isaiah 49 and 50, and all these other chapters, that he is the Messiah, is the light of the world. Again, in Isaiah 49. And now the Lord says, verse 5, He who formed me in the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him, Jacob being Israel, and to gather Israel to himself. For I am honored 
in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has seen my strength. He says, is it too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob, to bring back those of Israel I have kept, and I will also make you a light for the nations, for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Again, the Messiah is the light of the world, reaching to the ends of the earth. That is God's heart. That is his plan. And Jesus was the Messiah, the light of the world. And they experienced that light. They saw him. They saw him physically. John talks about handling the word of life. But those people at that time, that nation, they saw the physical light Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, said that when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. And he went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake, Sea of Galilee, in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. And there were Gentiles out there. This is where you get the story of the, of the, the pig herders and all that type of stuff. And to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light was dawned. It has dawned. Praise the Lord. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The light shining into the darkness, the first words out of Jesus' mouth and his mind in, in a dark place was, repent, turn from your sin. And this is what the light does. It shines into men's hearts in the darkness. It says, it shines on our evil deeds. It shines on our motives. It shines to the very core of who we are and exposes us for who we are. This is what the Messiah does. The light does. And he calls us to repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is near. I'm shining. I'm here. I am life. Praise the Lord. But what's the significance of light? Kind of already went into it a little bit. But what does it mean that the Messiah is the light of the world. You know, we put lights in our trees, as I mentioned, we don't even know why we do it. Biblically, what is the significance of Jesus declaring himself to be the Messiah, who is the light of light to the world? What do lights do? If, if we could define it, we would say that light is the active power that dispels darkness. It is the active power that dispels darkness. I like what John MacArthur said about Jesus being the light. Jesus Christ is the light of truth that dispels the darkness of falsehood. Jesus Christ is the light of wisdom that dispels the darkness of ignorance. Jesus Christ is the light of holiness that dispels the darkness of impurity. Jesus Christ is, Christ is the light of joy that dispels the darkness of sorrow. Jesus Christ is the light of life that dispels the darkness of death. I love that. Jesus the Messiah is the light of the nations. He leads men out of darkness and gives them light and life. One of my favorite verses of all time, this is something the Lord spoke to me about when I was coming out of the darkness into the light. Psalm 107 verses 10 through 16 says, Some sat in darkness, in 
utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they had rebelled against God's command and despised the plans of the Most High. And so he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress, and he brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and for his wonderful deeds for mankind, for he breaks down gates of bronze and he cuts through byres of iron. Amen? The Messiah shines into the darkness of men and their rebellion and he frees them from their chains. That's what our Jesus does. That's the hope of the world. That is the Messiah. That is why we are gathered, because he's shined into our life and has drawn us out. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Jesus just was saying, I am the Messiah. I am the light that sets men free from the power of darkness. Praise God. Not only was Jesus claiming to be the Messiah, it gets deeper. Jesus was said that he was the light of the world, When he was saying that, he says, I am the light of the world. He was claiming to be God. He was claiming to be God. Now to us, we're going, so what? I am the light of the world. We understand that. It's deeper. For the Jewish reader, their ears would have pricked up. The Pharisees definitely pricked up. As John progresses, we see the problem that Jesus was declaring himself equal with God, and they tried to kill him. Later on in John... He was saying that he was the light. He was saying that he was God. Light in Scripture is God himself. Psalm 27, 1, David said of God, The Lord is my light and my salvation. David was saying that the Lord, that word Lord is Jehovah. Y-H-V-H. It can't even be pronounced. We say Yahweh or Jehovah, however you want to put it. The Tetragrammaton, if you want to have fun with that, is the light in salvation. 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is light. And Jesus identified himself as that light when he said, I am the light of the world. Jesus did not say he was a light to a city. Jesus said, I am the light to the world. He was exclusive in his declaration. God, who is the light, and Jesus, who is the light, are the same. They are one and the same. Jesus was claiming to be God. And if you were a Jew and you were listening, when he said, I am the light of the world, it was packed with significance. For Jesus was using that, the name of the Lord, the very name of God, to declare that he was the light. In effect, he was saying, I am the eternal God, the light of the world. This is because I am, that phrase, as many of you know, is the the name for which God chose to reveal himself. If you go back to Exodus 3, 13 through 14, at the burning bush, after God commands Moses to go and go to the captives, go to the elders in Israel and tell them that I'm going to basically deliver them. Moses responds in Exodus 3, 13 through 14. He says, Moses said to God, suppose I go there and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell him? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are saying to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And so we have Jesus declaring in the midst of that blazing light show, I am. I am the light of the world. 
Who are you looking for? At the end of John, I think it was in John, I can't remember. You're looking for Jesus. I am He. And they all fell down. Why did they fall down? We all fall down <laughs> when Jesus says His name. I am He. What's the significance of this for us? Why did Jesus say this? He says why he said it. He said, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The eternal God wants the world to have the light of life. Our God wants people to have life and light. They are one and the same. That's a powerful thought. How does this happen? Jesus is not the kind of light that we look at solely. Jesus is not the Christmas tree or the light show in the house. He is a light to be followed. He's alive. He's living. He's moving. And he says, he follows me, you're going to have light. And as the Israelites are thinking and pondering in this context of, of their history, how were they led in the wilderness? How did they move, church? Cloud by day, fire by night, the glory of God. Exodus thirteen twenty one says, by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar, of, a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. This was no ordinary cloud. This was the cloud of his glory, his presence. And they were fixated on it as a people. The cloud was to be followed. When it moved, they moved. Where it moved, they moved. It was the Lord leading them. That light led them to the promised land. Jesus, the light of the world, is to be followed, and in doing so, he will lead us to the heavenly promised land through and out of this dark world. Amen? The word follow is interesting. It's used in several different contexts in the Bible. It's used, the word follow is used as a soldier follows his commander, someone who's under rank and is following the commands. It's used as a slave following his master, someone following a wise counselor, or someone following the law obediently, or a student following the teacher's line of argument, just f- tracing those footsteps. And Jesus said, Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus promised eternal light. The lights won't go out like it's going to go out in this party, like it's going to go out in Christmas time. You will have eternal light. And you fast forward to Revelation in your mind, there is no sun that lights the city that we will dwell in, is there? Why? Because he himself is the light. We have to think of a physical object. It is him. He is light. He will be our light. He's our eternal light. And he is our eternal life. Jesus is shining into the world of men who are walking in darkness so that they may have life, eternal life that is found in the light. John chapter 3, we know it well Uh, New Living Translation, I'm reading out of, 
beginning of verse 14, says, as, And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You see the heart of God being poured out here, desiring that people have light, desiring that people have life by giving his own Son. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone believing in God's one and only Son, or sorry, uh, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And this judgment, I'm sorry, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. People love darkness more than light. That's why we're judged. We did not go to the light. The world does not go to the light. They'd rather go into the corners. And all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Jesus is light and he is life and he shined upon us and calls us to repent and to turn out of darkness and believe upon him and to follow him. Amen? And this is what it is to have eternal life, to believe upon Jesus, that he died on the cross and he rose again to redeem us from the darkness. We know this. But a sacrifice was not only to save us from sin, but so that we would then live in the light as he is in the light, to follow him. And this is life. It's not just getting saved. Yeah, I'm saved. Now I do whatever I want. He is it. He is light. You are following the light in a dark world. He is it. And that is where life is found in him. So the Lord shines his light in the dark. Is there darkness in your heart this morning? Who can say there isn't? Is there darkness in your heart this morning? Is there darkness in your family? Is there darkness in your kids? Is there darkness at your job? About You see it in the world, in our government, in all these other places, you see it. Good news. Jesus is shining today in darkness. That is what he does. Amen? That is who he is. Jesus is calling dead men and dead women to life, to follow him. And in him there is eternal life. In Luke chapter 9, 23, and Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me daily. Following Jesus, the light, that's where it begins. How do we follow the Lord? It begins with the cross. Always begins with the cross. Jesus died in our place on the cross for our sins against God. He took our place. Propitiation, atonement, these words that are glorious to us. We're all dead in our sins, living in darkness like Adam, hiding in the garden from God, right in the darkness, and the Lord calls out, where are you? I love that about the Lord. He seeks out the sheep. He's seeking us. And he brings us to the light and he exposes our deeds and he calls, he has provision for our deeds and he sacrifices, he makes a covering for us. Not only a covering, he takes it away. Praise the Lord. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins so that we might call out to God to forgive us and God's forgiveness is received by believing that Jesus died for our sins. 
in our place so that we might go free. And so it begins with the cross. The Lord makes dead men alive through the cross of Christ. Think about it. We've been through Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were dead because you disobeyed in, in your... Uh, in your, your, in your many sins, and you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the power of the unseen world. He's the spirit who's working the hearts of those who are disobedient. And all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But by our very nature, we were subject to God's wrath, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ up from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Amen? When a person puts their faith in Christ, they're no longer under the power of sin and darkness. And this is important to know, church. We are conveyed from the the, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light when we put our hope in Christ. We are no longer bound. We're no longer dead. We're made alive. We're we're now children of the light. Colossians 1.3 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion, that's the power of darkness, and he's brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I mean, all the benefits that go along with that, yay. We have been conveyed from the power of darkness to the kingdom of the Son. Ephesians 5.8, we've been going over this, well, we will go over this one. Uh, yeah, we did. Uh, we have gone from darkness to light by the grace of God. I love that verse. Jesus calls people out of darkness into the light, just like he called the Hebrews out of the life of slavery by a deliverer led through the waters of the Red Sea and through the wilderness to the promised land by the cloud by day and the fire by night. So Jesus has delivered us out from the power of sin and death through the water of baptism. And we find ourselves in a temporary dwelling, a tabernacle in the wilderness of the world, yet we follow the great light to the promised land. He is the promised land. Amen? He is our light. He's the, his word is a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. He is the living water in the wilderness. He's the bread of life in the wilderness. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is our shepherd. He is the gate. He's the vine. He's the resurrection, the life. I am all those things, he says to you, who are traveling between here and eternity. I am it. I'm the light. I'm him. Focus upon me. I'm everything you need. I am. To follow him is to have light in life. You know, but a strange thing happens. A strange thing happens when we're walking in the light, when we're following Jesus. Guess what happens? You begin to look like the light. You you begin to reflect the light. You begin to reflect his glory. You begin to shine him. Ephesians 5.8, we read it. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the world. Live as children of the light. 1 Peter 2.7, talking about that hanging out with the Lord, experiencing his light, and then shining the light, says 1 Peter 2.7, but you are a chosen people. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're a nation of people that God has called out. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Our testimony is, look what he saved me from. 
Look at the darkness I was in and look at the light I am now. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5.14, here's the kicker. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Same words as chapter 8, verse 12. He said, I am the light of the world. He's still the I am. But he says, you are the light of the world. By the nature of becoming one with Christ through faith, we, we share in his glory. We share in his nature. We share in his, we reflect him to the world. We are an expression of him. We are his body, his bride to the world. Same words, I am the, the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You see, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He's physically not here on earth. And the way he chooses to shine his light now is through you. It's through the church, through his bride, through his body. You are the temple of God, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Spirit. His life, his light is within you as you abide in him. We are like that temple in Jerusalem with that blazing light shining out in the darkness. His light, his life, his words flowing from us. You and I are the light of Christ to a dark and decaying world. You are a city upon a hill. We are a city upon a hill. We're that picture. A town built upon a hill cannot be hidden, Jesus said, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, 25 feet high in the air, blazing for the world to see. To bring light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says you're salt and your light. Salt is preserving a decaying world and light is penetrating a dark world. You see, there's influence, the influence of salt, but then there's the penetration of light. There's the penetration of light. Jesus is the light of the world. Matthew 28, 18-20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority and heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. What's the word for nations? World, Gentiles. Go into the world, all the world. Shine. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, making this one, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Church, light invades darkness. Light invades darkness. Go and shine the gospel through your life on the one hand. Be that salt, but also through his word shining through you. Penetrate the darkness. Words backed up by a life the light of Christ in you. Church, the darkness will always be dark 
unless the light shines. The darkness will always be dark. That is the nature of darkness. It will continue to be dark until light shines. Look at your lives. You were dark until Christ's light penetrated and called you out into his marvelous salvation, his grace. Go and do likewise to the world around you. That is the hope of the world. That is the light of the world, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Shine your light. Live in the light. Walk in the light. Shine the light. Amen? May Christ be reflected in and through us this Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, uh, you say many things about darkness. You say verses that are something like, if there's darkness within our own hearts, how deep is that darkness? And Lord, we don't even have the light to shine in there to find out what's going on. Human wisdom and human intelligence, it just, it doesn't cut it. But the light of your word shines into the depths of who we are and brings incredible and total freedom. And so Lord, we ask that as we go out, that your word, the light of your word, would shine into our hearts and free us. And Lord, may we, as we walk in the light, as you are in the light, as that process is taking place in our hearts, not perfection, but walking in the light and being sensitive to your light, being, when you expose the darkness in our hearts, we say, yes, it's dark, Lord, take it, save me, help me. Oh, Lord, by your grace, please help me. Change me. And as we walk in that humility before you, as we walk in the light, God, empower us with boldness to love enough to penetrate darkness around us. When we see people, Father, who are like us, around us, before we met you, who are just living in darkness that annoy us to death, The remedy for all these situations, Lord God, is your light, is you. Help us to shine your light, to love deeply. Empower us, Lord, with the Holy Spirit. You've already called us to it. We're running into family this week, people who don't know you, and there's darkness. There's people without hope. They need hope. Not boys, but true, deep hope, which is rooted in a light that does not go out. Make us bold by your grace. Lord, we ask that we would truly be the reflection of you to this world. And so shine. We're here to reflect your glory, Lord Jesus. Do whatever you want this week. We lay our agendas down at your feet. We will go where you go, O mighty, glorious God, cloud by day, fire by night. We will go where you want us to go. We will say what you want us to say. We will lay down whatever you want us to lay down. We just ask that you'd be our provision in the wilderness. You would be the I am. So we trust in you. We follow you. 
shine bright, Lord. We're your sheep. You're our shepherd. Lead us on. In the name of Jesus, we call out and we thank you. Amen.